the 7th of December 2021. No surprises from the Reserve Bank. The most expensive area to rent in Australia. Prices continue to skyrocket. From news.com.au. I'm Andrew Buckalow, and I've got news for you. Are you pretty average when it comes to managing your money? If so, you're not alone. I too am completely hopeless. I mean, I feel like a lot of my friends are buying apartments or houses at the moment and I'm just sitting here thinking, how the hell are you guys doing this? What are you doing that I'm not doing? (sighs) Feels good to get that off my chest. Uh, What I'm going to do today is chat to a financial advisor and he assures me that he has a pretty foolproof plan to help me and you get your finances in order. This could be the most important podcast of your life. That could be a massive oversell. But seriously, this could be the podcast that helps put you on a path to financial freedom. So I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with it in just a moment. Ben Nash is a financial advisor and the founder of Pivot Wealth, and he's teamed up with news.com.au to create a course called Cashed Up, which is an easy step-by-step guide to get your finances in check. So today, he's going to run us through the six main steps from that course, all in one convenient podcast just for you. So if you're just like me and you're a bit shit with your money, well, hopefully we won't be after this episode. Thanks for joining me, Ben. Oh, good to be here, Andrew. Okay, so let's start with step one. What is it? So the first and and one of the most foundational things when it comes to being good with your money is to sort out your spending and savings. So uh, I'm not a big fan of the B word, but ultimately doing a budget, Uh um, laying out your different expenses, seeing what money's coming in, what money's going out and and where it's going. So the first step is identification. So knowing what's going on, because it's really easy when it comes to how we spend our money, how we manage our money, that we're just doing a bunch of stuff without really thinking too much about it. And because human beings are all uh, pleasure seekers, we all enjoy that spending hit, having that little shopping spree, you know, having a nice meal or doing something. It gives us that hit of, you know, happiness, satisfaction, dopamine. And um, it's easy because of that, that we end up unconsciously prioritizing things that actually in the moment might bring us happiness. But when we take that higher level view really don't contribute that much to our lives. And when we prioritize them, we end up deprioritizing things that are much more important to our to our really our happiness, well-being and quality of life. So is the best way to do that just to go through your bank statements and your credit cards and just kind of see what's going in, what's going out? Look, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. There's apps out there these days that you can plug your bank accounts into. You can go through bank statements. Some banks actually have um, the automatic categorization of expenses so that they give you some broad strokes and categories and where things are going. Um, But Importantly, I think when it comes to doing a budget, you want to be what what's happened in the past is important in that you it gives you a bit of a gauge of what's realistic for the future, but it's probably not the most important thing. Most of the time when we guide people through the process of doing a budget, they realize that they want to change some of the behaviors. So budget should be forward looking, not always backwards looking. Mm, okay. So if you spent, you know, two hundred dollars a week on Uber Eats uh, in the last twelve months, you might choose not to spend that much in the next twelve months. So it's really about laying things out. I love technology, but I'm a little bit old school when it comes to this stuff that we still use with our clients, a big old spreadsheet, online spreadsheet, and then um, lay everything out, punch it in, and then you can see and you can tweak things. Because the reality is that most of the time when you lay out all the spending that you want to do in a budget, you're probably not saving as much as you want. Sometimes you're going backwards. I know that's what happened to me the first time (laughs) I laid everything out. So um, that's that's actually the next step. So I don't want to give too much away, but essentially putting it there so that you've you've got it all there and and think about what, what is important to you. 
Well, let's move on to step two then. What is it? So it, it is that prioritization. So once you've laid everything out, because often, you know, we, we want everything, we want it all, especially when you're younger, entitlement generation, you could call it, or <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's people of all ages, I suppose, but you want to have all of these things. And, but you also have saving goals. And when you want to be good with your money, the more you save, obviously, the faster you're going to get ahead. So if you lay everything out and you're not saving as much as you would ideally want, don't feel bad. That's what happens to everybody. The The next step is really that prioritization. So looking at what is actually important. Is it the travel fund? Is it having heaps of pocket money so that you can buy coffees and lunches out or having a personal trainer or a dog walker? Or is that just something that's crept into your expenses over time? So take that 50,000 foot view, make sure that you're saving as much as you want, that you're able to enjoy the day-to-day that you want, that you've got enough big ticket money put aside for your travel and you know um, new tech toys or things for the house or whatever. Um, and importantly, obviously, that your bills are getting paid Um, and looking at those things and thinking about, well, what is important? And one of the things that I I get asked a lot uh, by um, normally journalists and and in interviews is like, what's the right percentage that people should be allocating Mm. to these different buckets? But I'm pretty anti that because I think sometimes saving 0% of your income is okay. Sometimes saving 50% isn't enough Um, or allocating 10% to travel versus 5% or 20% or whatever. All of those numbers can be right for the right person. Yeah, okay. And it's different, really different for everybody. So I think for people, while it does make it a little bit harder because you do actually have to think about it as opposed to just following some formula, the end result is that you end up with allocating your money to the things that are actually important to you and, and still making the progress that you want. So it's a really important step as part of that. Uh, process. I think for me, I should probably cut down on streaming services. I mean, I think I've got about five at the moment and it's because a new show comes out and everyone's talking about it and you want to watch it. And so you end up signing up to Netflix or, you know, another one and then you stick with it for about a year and then you're a hundred bucks down. That's right. Those bills and fixed costs are, are easy to collect and they're the things that they creep in without us really thinking about them too much. And that's what I mean when it's like how much, how much better is it making your life to have Paramount Plus and Netflix and uh, all of the other ones, you know? I I will say that I do enjoy Binge though because it's owned by this company. Okay, we'll be back (laughs) with uh, more tips from Ben in just a second. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Ben, we are up to step three. Tell me about this one. So this is all about automating your saving success ultimately. So I mentioned those different categories of of expenses that people have. And look, I don't think the labels are so important, but uh, the labels that we use are the fixed costs. So your rent bills, the boring stuff, your spending money, that's your everyday walking around, discretionary money, meals, Mm -hmm. entertainment, medical, there's some necessary stuff in there, but it's essentially discretionary. Um, Your debt, everyone's least favorite bucket where you're paying (laughs) for things that you've enjoyed yesterday or that you're already enjoying, but an important one to look after. We call it lifestyle, which is not smashed avo with your mates on the weekend, but it's more the travel, the um, tech toys, 
uh, new things for your house, furniture renovations, that basically savings to spend and then savings to save. So once you've done the budget, you've looked at your the different granular expenses, you can wind them up into the broad categories to say, you know that your bills are X dollars per week, your spending money is, is Y. And then it's about, we. I'm a big fan of using multiple bank accounts. Okay. So that you've got, it's like the old uh, coffee coffee tin uh, yeah, yeah. type approach where you've got the right money in the right places at the right time. And it makes things easier. And it also when you separate your money in that way and then automate it as much as possible, transfers between the accounts each week, it actually hacks a lot of the um, psychological sort of biases that, that we fall into or suffer from when it comes to managing our money. There's a ton of studies out there that show that we, using the power of small barriers does make a really big difference. One of the ones, and I wrote about this in my book, that um, they did a, a study with these three groups of participants that all had a box of chocolates. One had it on their desk every day in front of them in a clear container. The other one had it in a, on the in the same position on their desk, but in an opaque container that they okay. couldn't see inside of. And then the the third group had it in a in a cupboard that was two steps away from their desk, and they found it was like something like almost half they consumed almost half as few chocolates like between each of the groups because when you can see something and it's right in front of you, you just use it. And it's why that one of the most effective dieting strategies is to use smaller dinner plates because we tend to just consume what's in front of us. So for me personally, I have one bank account that I use for my day-to-day spending, my walking around money. I bought this coffee with from that account and I know that I allocate a few hundred bucks a week that goes into there and I can spend that all on coffee. I can spend it all on lunches. I can spend it all on an afternoon out with my mates at the pub now that they've opened up again. But what's important for me to stick to my budget is not what I spend that money on, but it's just ensuring that I spend that much over a weekly period. And I use that weekly amount because it's hard over a month. It's easy. Again, like talking about you consume what's in front of you. If it was $1,000 over a month, it's easy to spend that in a week. And then you've got to wait three weeks for more money. Whereas if you, it's easy to spend in, in a day, but uh, then you only have to wait six days to get it topped up. It's such a good point. So if I was getting paid once a month and I'd automated my bank accounts or even work to put that money in the different accounts that I'd set up for different reasons... That is such a big help because otherwise, if you leave it all in just the one account and go, oh, I know I've got to spend that much on bills, so I've got to try and leave that. But when you look at your bank statement and say, oh, I've got five grand in there, you tend to think you're cashed up and you just want to spend it, don't you? That's right. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of studies out there that show that the more money that we feel like we have, the more money we spend on random discretionary things that we don't need. So the putting your money out of sight, out of mind, it hacks into that psychology as well. Random story. I used to work with a guy who um, got a, a massive loan for a car, I think, and he printed off about 10 or 15 bank statements from when he got it. And when he was trying to pick up chicks, he'd pull that out of his... Uh, his wallet and he's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just write down my number. And then they'd obviously turn it around and see that he had, you know, 50K in the bank. Anyway, random story. Don't know why I told you that. <laughs> um, let's move on to step four, Ben. What is it? So step four is all about setting some good goals. So knowing what your targets are, knowing what's possible. And I think that one of the things that stops people from setting good goals is that they don't realize what's achievable based on their circumstances. A lot of people think that goal setting is an action that you just do, but it's actually a process that you go through. So firstly, it's about thinking like big picture, what is actually really important to you? Then 
it's you need to wind it into what's realistically possible based on where you're at because it's all well and good to go i want to you know i want a porsche and a five million dollar bronte dream home <laughs> but then if you're if you're so far away from that then that's not going to work in the time frames that you want with the inputs that you've got so you go okay well what's realistically possible where can i actually get to and that will help you shape what levers you pull to get there do you save more do you invest more aggressively do you invest in your career or further yourself so that you can make more money to get ahead faster yeah, okay. invest differently whatever and then you can wind it into your actual goal and then set a clear timeline so that again you know what the milestones are you can see that it's achievable as you put in the work to get there because often we have quite big goals which take a bit of time to do it and it's like buying property is a big one a lot of stuff property markets kicking off around the country especially for younger people housing affordability really hard and we know that it's a big goal and if you don't have like family support or something that gives you a a leg up to to get in there sooner saving your own deposit to get into the market is a really it's a really big effort Absolutely. To, to, to do that. So if you just say, well, I think I want a property, maybe I might need to spend seven hundred or $800,000-ish to get into the market or get the property that I want. And I think I might need a, like a 10 or a 15% deposit. If it's wishy-washy and you think, oh, maybe it's around a hundred grand, that's very different to saying it's $103,500 and I'm saving $750 a week and or, or a month or whatever that number is for you. And therefore, it's going to take X months for me to get there because then and when you say no to something else so that you can keep hitting your savings goals, it's not you're not just saying no to that thing. You're you're saying yes to keeping right. on following the process and getting the progress that you want to get there. So it's again a lot of psychology that ties into how we manage our money and how you should be thinking about it and framing your thinking to give yourself the best chance of success. The podcast Faith on Trial looks into Hillsong both in Australia and the U.S. and takes both the listener and hosts on unexpected twists and turns in the story of Brian Houston and the singing preachers. There are two incidents involving Pastor Brian. The Australian journalists uncovered a litany of alleged criminal behavior in the megachurch. Financial gifts were being given to the leaders of the church. Listen to Faith on Trial Hillsong ad-free on Crimex Plus. Us on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ben, we are up to step number five. Give it to me. So now that we've laid the, the foundation, it's about investing. Investing is really important if you don't want to work forever. You know, saving money in a bank account is really slow going, especially with the ultra low interest rates that we're seeing at the moment. So you need to invest and invest smart. Mm. So understanding investing, building your knowledge, because a lot of people when it comes to investing, the fear of the unknown is what is a big barrier for them in taking action because you you want to invest you you've heard about these ETFs or you know read this article or been following these people or following the fire movement or whatever those things are and you think it's a good idea but especially if you've been reasonable at saving and you've got a, a little like a decent little chunk of money that you want to invest the bigger the number is the scarier it is to pull the trigger on that decision 100% without knowing that your risk is is taken care of so the first step you've got to understand 
where the risks are coming from because everything has risk attached to it. Investing in shares is risky. Investing in crypto is risky. Investing in property is risky. Doing nothing has risk attached to it as well. Right. So the key to being a successful investor, most people think it's just about choosing good investments, but it's about understanding what are the right risks for you and what are the risks that you need to avoid because once you figure out what risks you're comfortable with and what, what risks you aren't comfortable with, you want to get the ones that you are and get as much of them as is comfortable into your strategy because then you're going to make the most money when you invest and avoid the ones that you're not comfortable with because they're the ones that will maybe cause you to make bad decisions or, you know, get off track or whatever that that is for, for you. So understand what those risks are, figure out how you can manage them. There'll always be some le- risk left over, but then it's just about put it into action and keep following the process and, and building that momentum because I think we often – overestimate how much we should be doing in the short term. You know, we want to shoot the lights out, invest in the next afterpay or yeah. whatever, but then we underestimate how much you can do in the in the long term. And when you look at, and th- there are a bunch of really great tools out there, um, I'm sure we'll talk about some of them that as part of the cashed up course that we've put together with mm. the news.com.au guys, but how quickly you can build your momentum just investing into the boring old share market, the share market average over time. It's really incredible, the power of compounding interest. And it's it's really the last five years of any investment is when you make the most money from it. So oh, okay. that means if you start, because it's the ratcheting up that mm. exponential growth that you get on your investment. So that means if you start five years sooner, you're going to be so much better off at the back end, but it's that, like I say, the unknown, the lack of confidence, the not understanding the risk that stops people from taking action. And then another year goes past and another year goes past and they've missed the opportunity to build that momentum. How is it that you kind of determine which one is right for you? Do you have to chat to a financial advisor? Because, you know, it is so daunting to think about shares or managed share funds or crypto. Like, how do you decide what level of risk you're comfortable with and which level of risk is associated with each investment? Look, I, I don't think you necessarily need a financial advisor to, to invest. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I'm being <laughs> a financial advisor, but I think the more stuff that you've got going on with your money, the more value there is in having someone or multiple people to support you with making those decisions. And when you're making particularly big decisions, again, going back to that confidence, making it happen sooner, getting the results sooner, a lot of value in that as well. But there is also a ton of great resources out there, cashed up, obviously being one one of Mm. those where people can learn more. Um, And depending on where things are at for you, you can understand the key things and see if you know enough. Look, if you get to the end of that process and you're you're not comfortable to take action, then 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 it's probably worth the investment in in getting some help. Yeah. Um, if you if you are, then sometimes you can start small and learn along the way through do, learning by doing, and then you build your momentum that way and save a bit of costs along the way. All right, let's move on to the sixth and final step to get our finances in order. What is it? So this one's all about sorting your superannuation and it's something that Australians, especially when you're younger, we tend to bury our heads in the sand <laughs> with, with this stuff. 100%. Um, funnily enough, if if you had $50,000 in a bank account, you'd probably be watching it like a hawk, but $50,000 in your super fund, we ignore the letters and um, all the emails <laughs> or both. And, so true. Um, yeah, it, ultimately it is your money. Now, it should be said that your super doesn't need a lot of work. It, it doesn't require much to um, 
to to be doing the right things. But once you once you've understand investing and you've got a personal investment strategy that you follow, you super should probably if you put in the work to get your your personal investment strategy right, you super should be probably somewhat consistent with that. So it's about making sure you've got a a, a reasonable fund that's giving you good value for money. It doesn't have to be a cheap fund or a expensive fund or an industry fund or a retail fund or a non-industry fund or whatever. I think it's the key is making sure that you're getting value for money with the fees that you're paying. How do you determine that a super is good value for money? How do you figure that out? Well, it's really just making like what's in, what's actually important to you. Some of them have a, a really slick interface and user experience. Some of them are just you know, ter- they're, they're terrible to deal with. So it's what, how much value do you place on that? Would sure. you pay a little bit more for having good customer service and a nice login portal versus someone that is difficult to deal with on the very rare occasion that you do deal with mm. them? So that, again, it depends on the person. Then you look at the investments that you've got. And if you want a particular type of investments and one fund is more expensive than the other, you would say, well, the cheaper one is more value for money because you're right. getting this, essentially the same thing but yeah. paying a, a lower cost. And then they do, you know, some of these funds talk about value with insurances, although now you can get really good insurance in like all of the, the insurances inside Super are very similar. And then you can get insurance from any of the bigger, like higher quality type insurance providers with any Super fund because they all want your business generally as well. So it's pretty stock standard. There's a lot of really good comparison sites out there that you can use to analyze what you do actually get and then think about what you're really going to use and what's important and then find a cheap option that delivers the things that are important to you and you can ignore everything else. Well, there you have it. Six simple steps to get your finances in order. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to run us through them. I'm going to go and try and implement them all right now. And if I don't have a house in Bronte within three years, I'm coming for you. Okay, mate. You know where I live. (laughs) Cheers, Andrew. If you want to learn more about Ben's tips, just Google news.com.au and the term cashed up, and I'm sure you'll easily be able to find his six-step course. Thanks for listening to I've Got News For You. I'll chat to you again tomorrow. Listener.